So this morning we're joining with churches and ministries all around the world in recognizing Orphan Sunday, which we're now calling Refuge Sunday. We've done this for the last four years, not because it's a good ministry idea to add to the church calendar, but because its focus lies at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we have another grace story to share with you this morning. They're snapshots of real lives that have struggled with faith or battled temptation or are recovering from brokenness, but have experienced the grace of God as he makes his people more and more like his perfect son, Jesus, through strength and faith and a measure of healing. Grace stories are usually shared by members of our church, but today, for Refuge Sunday, we've invited Katie Mejia to come. Her personal story will give us a vivid example of God expanding a family and fulfilling his promise in Psalm 68.6 to set the lonely in families, the theme verse of our GRC ministry called Refuge 686. I've known Katie for 20 years and have watched her story unfold as she has courageously shared it. We've heard the grace stories of adoptees, adoptive parents, and foster parents during previous Orphan Sundays. But today, Katie comes to share her unique grace story from her perspective as a birth parent. Please join me in welcoming Katie to GRC. Hi. Good morning. November is National Adoption Month. When I was young, three of my cousins were adopted. We were so overjoyed to have a family member join our family through adoption. I had adopted a cabbage patch when it was all the rage in the 80s, and I'm familiar with what it was meant to adopt a baby. What I didn't know is that adoption would become a big part of my life as an adult. It came to me, though, through trauma, through an event I never would have expected. I even thought that one day I would adopt a child, But instead of bringing a child into my home, as I expected as an adoptive mom, the Lord walked me through giving a family the opportunity to become parents. I did the very opposite of what I thought I would ever do, and I became a birth mom. My name is Katie Mejia, and I'm here today to share my God story with you. Thank you for welcoming me into your congregation. I consider it an honor. I was brought up Catholic, and I am from Long Island. Try not to talk like it. While away at Oneonta College for teaching, I gave my life to Christ. That alone is another God story I could talk about for hours, but today I'm going to share with you the miracle that God has performed in my life. Before I continue, I'd like to preface that what I'm going to share today has some triggering content. If you're unsure if you or a young person should stay, I would encourage you to step out. I'm also going to be very transparent. I think that's what we need to be as believers. I'm not perfect. In 2011, I had been teaching overseas in Lima, Peru, where my ex-husband is from. I moved back to Jersey with my two children, Christian and Brianna, at the time. My marriage had ended, and the Lord had opened up a door for me to work at a Christian school in Nutley, New Jersey. After two years of living in the States as a single mom, I decided to move to upstate New York. While I was in the process of moving, I was sexually assaulted. Without getting into too much of that detail, I will say that it took me over a year to even say those words. Although I was in denial about what had occurred, I couldn't deny that I had become pregnant. I knew it right away because my legs started to swell due to a blood clot. I was very familiar because I had two pregnancy losses from other babies from a mutation in my blood. Baby Ryan and baby Grace are actually buried here in New Jersey. A few weeks into the pregnancy, I couldn't walk. 
I was in a lot of pain, and the swelling was awful. I drove myself to the ER. I told the doctor I was pregnant and had a blood clot. They were shocked. They shocked me with even more news. Twins. A few weeks after that, we went to another prenatal visit. The doctors did a nuchal translucency test where they measured the fluid on the back of the baby's brain. The doctor then told me that one of the twins, baby A, would have Down syndrome. To be honest, it hit me hard. I had served at a Christian camp for years where I'd worked with people with Down syndrome. I love them. But if you're a parent that has special needs, you will understand that getting a diagnosis that is other than normal or perfect hits you. The man I was dating at the time was devastated. He wanted me to abort. He couldn't separate the trauma from the babies. I consulted with my midwife and doctors, and I'd only shared with a few people what had happened. I made that appointment. I wanted it all to go away, and I cried for three days. It was right before Christmas. I was reading a book to my children about Hanukkah, because from being from Long Island, I had friends that were Jewish, and we celebrate Hanukkah. <laughs> like Chaim to life was the message of the story. The Lord was speaking to me. He's re- he was reaffirming what I knew. I am not the giver nor the taker of life. I was still so perplexed that I called two friends that were also believers. My former boss from New Jersey, and he said, God must get the glory. And a former missionary teacher who also said, God must get the glory. Neither of them had ever met each other, nor heard of the phone calls, but they said the same words. I canceled the appointment. It was not me to decide whether the twins would live or die. It would not be up to me. It would be up to God. That day, I became alive again, for my children would live. I came out of a four-month can't-get-off-the-couch depression. I was also told that I was not allowed to work. With pregnancy at high risk, for the duration of the pregnancy, I had to self-inject with blood thinners. God would decide the fate of these twins. I didn't know what I was going to do. The man I was dating did not want to parent the twins, And while in trauma, our brains do not respond as we normally would. I met with an adoption counselor, Lori. She asked me to consider the top three things that I would ask for if I were to place my children in adoption. She also taught me how adoption had changed over the last 20, 30 years, that the expectant woman gets to decide the family. She also gets to decide the level of openness that they would like. I would determine how many visits we would get, and many other details, such as pictures and letters. In New York State, there's a written contract called the Post-Adoption Contact Agreement, and it's legally binding. My top three desires in a family were a Christian family, not just a church on Christmas and Easter, but a true believing family, a couple that would want an extreme open adoption. I said family vacations. I'm thinking Disney, because I really wanted to be a part of my children's lives. And a couple that would accept a twin that would have Down syndrome. Down syndrome was not part of the placement. It just happened to be there. A list with a few more details about myself went out to the adoption agencies in the surrounding area. And I received a message back from a beautiful couple, Jess and Elias. They had been missionaries in Africa. They sent me their profile. And if you've ever put together a profile, you probably sweat the pictures more than anything. No pictures came through. Just their words. 
two amazing hearts that were filled with love and love for God. A young couple, high school sweethearts, who had tried to get pregnant for six years with three failed IVF treatments. After sending Jess and Elias over 20 questions, I am a school teacher, and praying on it, and I mean heart-wrenching prayer and tears, I invited Jess and Elias to dinner. I figured if they were going to be part of my family, I would cook for them, and they would see what it was like to be part of my life. We got along so well. It was just meant to be. After more prayer, I felt that making an adoption plan was something that I was led to do. Before, I would have said, I could never do that. You may even be thinking that yourself, that you could never do that. I believe anyone involved with adoption, whether it's fostering or parenting, um, it's something spiritual. It goes beyond us. When you're faced with something traumatic, you might not do what you normally would do in the situation. I wanted my children to have a dad. I didn't want them to be with a man that didn't want to father them. Money wasn't the issue. I was a single mom. I was kind of rocking it. But there was something that led me to this beautiful couple. After a few weeks, we got to tell Jess and Elias that we felt they were the parents of the twins. They were overjoyed. One family was experiencing a loss, while another was overjoyed with the expectancy of twins. And one thing I tell Jess today is that her joy heals my pain. Why is this a God story? This is a God story because the Lord took a traumatic event and turned it into two amazing blessings. I did not give up my children for adoption. I gave Asher and Lucas more through adoption. The Lord sustained me. He has given me a gift that not many have had the privilege of sharing with him. He allowed me to help him pick parents. He has shown me what it is to truly give his son so that others may experience love, joy, peace, forgiveness, and more. Not a day that goes by that I do not think of Asher and Lucas. Here we are in the hospital. If you're an adoptee, I want you to know your birth mother thinks of you every day and loves you. We are blessed to have a couple that keeps their promise to continue with an open adoption. Many couples do not honor it and close it quickly. We have a true extended family. Here we are at the blessing ceremony at the hospital. They had a chapel, and we had my pastor come in and do a ceremony. We had songs. It was kind of like a church service. Um, Ash and Lucas today are four years old. They are absolutely perfect in our eyes. The Lord has also led me to start and facilitate a support group for others that have been touched by adoption. It's called Giving More Through Adoption. And just this November, the beginning of this month, I hosted our fifth annual birth mother retreat. The average birth mom is not someone who's addicted to drugs. It's a woman who looks at her choices, parent, abort, or place their child into the loving arms of another family. I would like to end with sharing about two birth moms that are found in the Bible, Moses' mother and Samuel's mother. Joshebed in Exodus 2, found herself choosing life for her son. She chose to place Moses in the river with the hopes that she would save his life. She even got to nurse him, and who knows, maybe even potty train him. I did get to nurse the twins, and I got to pump for six months to give them milk. Here they are, loving on each other, and Lucas says that Asher is his best friend. It was to Moses' detriment, though, that he did not know that he was adopted. 
for when he found out, he was so enraged that he committed murder. His family watched him grow up, his birth family from afar, and trust me, it wasn't easy for them. Thankfully, adoption has changed so much, and still today in the state of New York, adoption records are sealed. So unless an an adoptee has openness, they will have to search for their birth family, either through Facebook, a search angel, or like 23andMe, as you see on TV. The second birth mom we see is Hannah. In 1 Samuel, we find Hannah crying to the Lord to become pregnant. And then a few verses later, she's placing her son Samuel into the care of the temple priest, Eli. They had an open adoption. Birth families are part of the adoption triad that are often forgot about. Jess and Elias, the parents of my twins, do open adoption really well. They, un- they understand that the boys do not belong to them, but that we all belong to the boys. Hannah, Samuel's mom, reminds us that our children are not ours. We may conceive them, but our role is to daily place them into God's hands. People ask if I regret placing my children into someone else's arms to raise. I would say that I am honored to watch my children being parented by such amazing parents. Elias has his own God story as he was dying of cystic fibrosis about two years ago. The Lord gave him a new set of lungs through a transplant. I'm sure that having the twins helped him fight even more for his life. Being a birth parent is beauty wrapped in pain, wrapped in wonder. I didn't choose adoption. Adoption chose me. Just as the Lord chose me and drew himself to me. And from both of these events, I have been forever changed. Thank you. On the ring. This is a ring that Justin Elias gave me about two years ago and has the verse on it that Pastor is going to use in his story. Which she didn't know in the first service until she stepped down. Let me pray. Beauty wrapped in pain, wrapped in wonder. None of us would ever make that sandwich. We'd always leave out that middle ingredient. But Lord, we are fallen creatures in a fallen world, and you use every ingredient in our lives to bring about beauty and wonder. You are the God of resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for this glimpse this morning of new life. Thank you for giving Katie courage to share again, for giving her the conviction to Uh, tell of what you have done to give of her weekend with her daughter Brianna to come down here from upstate New York to minister to us, Lord. Bless her. Bless her and her family. Bless these boys and uh, Jess and Elias as they enjoy together the wonder of seeing these boys grow. We give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, you're not familiar with how we do grace stories, we always pair the personal testimony with a short devotional that tries to pull out a few of the main themes of the person's story and connect them to the larger, truest of all stories of Scripture, the story of God saving His people throughout all of history. 
The title I've given my devotional might not sit well with some of you. You might think that's, that's what I don't like. That's what I can't deal with in terms of the church um, putting a label of good on something that's bad. And please hear me. No one is calling what happened to Katie good. It, it was um, the exact opposite, but what we'll see is the pattern of the God of Scripture, the God of salvation, the one true God over all of history, has a habit of taking the ugly things of life and using them for good. The, the devotional title comes from uh, the book of Genesis, the last chapter, chapter 50, and in order to understand what Joseph speaks to his brothers, we need to go back to Genesis 37 and tell the story from the very beginning. This is the only way to understand the heart of God, to see how He is acting in history in bringing about goodness from such tragedy. Back in Genesis 37, Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers, and he's the favored son of the father, Jacob. And so his older brothers envy him, they resent him, they begin to plot with ways uh, as to how to deal with him, how to get rid of him. And rather than murder him, they decide to profit by selling him to slave traders that are traveling through their land. So he ends up being carted off to a foreign land, ends up being Egypt, and sold to an official over, um, a, a governor in a sense, over his household. And there Joseph serves Potiphar's household. His wife takes a liking to him, and uh, he refuses her advances, and she gets back at him with an accusation, a false accusation of sexual assault, which lands him in prison, where he is forgotten for years, until his dream-interpreting gift that God gave him, as it so happens, enables him to interpret the dreams of two officials who later tell Pharaoh, there's a guy I was in prison with, one of them says, there's a guy I used to be in prison with who can interpret your dreams, O Pharaoh. And this gift enables Joseph to rise up out of the dungeon to the right-hand position, the number two position over Egypt at Pharaoh's right hand, where God enables him through this dream-interpreting gift to rescue all of the land of Egypt and many of the peoples in the surrounding lands that were about to undergo a devastating famine. Later on, Joseph's family ends up traveling down to Egypt to settle there to uh, survive during the famine where they grow from a big family into a small nation. These are the themes. Brotherly hatred, enslavement, false accusation, imprisonment. Did God cause any of that? We would say absolutely not. Not in the slightest, because God is not the author of evil. He doesn't come up with this idea. He doesn't whisper it in people's ears. The Apostle James puts it this way, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. And the Apostle John writes in his first letter, God is light, in Him there is no darkness at all. What happened? The brothers sinned of their own accord. Out of the overflow of their hearts, they spoke and they acted out of jealousy, 
out of murderous intent and greed, and then through lies to their father about how some wild animal found Joseph and all we found were these bloodied clothes, leaving him to form his own conclusion. And later, when Joseph refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife, who acted of her own lustful desires and then acted out of her own desire for revenge, how could you dare to say no to me? She makes this false accusation that lands him in prison where he rots for a number of years. Those were human choices acting on the desires flowing out of their own sinful hearts. God did not plant those thoughts in them. God didn't whisper thoughts uh, to tempt them to act in those ways, but God did use their human choices for good purposes. And without the suffering that Joseph experienced, without the high cost that he ended up paying, being exiled from everyone he loved for decades of his life, in the prime of his life, there would have been no saving of tens of thousands, perhaps easily hundreds of thousands of lives. Ugly and painful? Absolutely. But even more so, merciful, gracious, life-giving. This is how our King and Redeemer works. He takes a dead end and He makes it a path to life. He takes despair and turns it into hope. So towards the end of his life, Joseph, by God's grace, was able to address his brothers who are fearful of what he's going to do to them. He's able to say, I forgive you because you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's what's on uh, Katie's ring, Genesis fifty twenty. Second story uh, along the same lines, but very simple, uh, straightforward, I should say, not simple. Uh, a 19-year-old young woman you may have read in the news this past year in South Carolina was completely strung out on drugs. And in the midst of a wild hallucination, she clawed her own eyes out. There is no hope that she will ever see. And yet, she's able to say this. Of course, there are times when I get really upset about my situation, particularly on nights when I can't fall asleep. But truthfully, I'm happier now than I was before all this happened. I'd rather be blind than dependent on drugs. It took losing my sight to get me back on the right path. But from the bottom of my heart, I'm so glad I'm here. How's that possible? God may have said to her, you intended to harm you, but I am using it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of your very life, because she would have been dead in weeks, if not days. That kind of story should not surprise followers of Christ. It's the familiar, never-gets-too-old storyline of God's saving ways. Sin is inherently self-destructive, not always as obviously deadly as it was the case in this young woman's life, but it will always lead to death, but resurrection power wielded by a merciful God who is willing and able to bring life from death, resurrection power is what keeps Christ's followers going. One more story before circling back to Katie's, 
Johnny Erickson Tata is a name, um, as some of you may know. She has lived for 51 years as a quadriplegic. She suffers chronic pain and recently battled stage three breast cancer for five years. She has said this, God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. That kind of wisdom only flows out of a a person who has suffered greatly and yet clings by faith to the promises of her God who is still good and does still care. She recently shared a prayer request because a small cancerous tumor reappeared over the site of her mastectomy after three years of being declared cancer-free. You'd think this is just another punch in the gut in a lifetime of relentless suffering and physical challenges. But this is what a lifetime of suffering has shaped in this Christ follower named Johnny Erickson Tata. When I received the unexpected news of cancer for my surgeon, I relaxed and smiled. Knowing that my sovereign God loves me dearly and holds me tightly in His hands, what good is it if we only trust the Lord when we understand His ways? That only guarantees a life filled with doubts. Wow. She ends her prayer request with this affirmation, what I'll call the running theme of this latest chapter in Johnny's grace story. Jesus is ecstasy beyond compare. And if new hardships draw us closer to him, I am more than content with it. A model of faith for us. Katie's story as well fits squarely into what our Redeemer is up to. Bringing life from death, bringing hope and confidence and joy, even from an incredibly painful trial. You heard for Katie, a traumatic assault led to pregnancy. A genetic mutation in her uh, body immediately put her life at risk and led to pain and swelling. And if that weren't enough for her to deal with in the aftermath of this trauma, she receives news that she's carrying twins. And then a few weeks later, she gets another punch in the gut that one of the twins is very likely to have Down syndrome. I'm not sure many of us would be standing after that kind of one, two, three, four punch We'd be flat on our faces. As she prepared to get an abortion, what did the Lord use but a children's book with a very simple theme, L'chaim, to life? As she put it, it was not my decision to give life and it will not be my decision to take life. From Ephesians 3, part of the passage we uh, looked at closely just a few weeks ago. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. I don't know that there's any other way to explain the courageous decision Katie made in that moment if it were not for the power of God at work in her. The power of a God who is able to do more than all we ask or imagine. Incredible pain, soothed by the healing, renewing power of God, produced a double gift for a young couple who are now parents, living their dream. 
two beautiful boys are now at the center of a life-giving story of God at work among his people. This is at the heart of Refuge 686, as Karen shared, straight from Psalm 68.6, that says God sets the lonely in families. That's why we started this ministry four years ago. Because adoption and foster care and God's heart for the vulnerable is not some side interest that the church might end up developing. It's at the heart of the gospel. The Father looks at his enemies in sin and chooses to draw us to himself through faith in Jesus, at which point he adopts us into his family and calls us sons and daughters. We should have been forgotten. We should have been cast aside. We should have been treated as our sins deserve. But God, in the heart of the gospel, through faith in Jesus, says, you are now my own. Flaws and all, unlovable as you may be, you are mine. That's inescapable at the heart of the gospel. And our longing is through Refuge 686, to explore ways in which we can share the love of Christ and imitate the Father's heart for the most vulnerable through adoption, through foster care, through global orphan care, or by coming alongside those who are on the front lines of loving the loveless and caring for the vulnerable. Karen and Katie uh, shared an ACE hour, uh, adult Sunday school hour um, between services uh, in the last hour. If you were not able to join them for that, I'm sure Katie would love to meet you after the service, answer some questions, and Karen would love to hear from you if you have interests on an ongoing basis. Refuge at graceredeemer.com. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege it is to be invited in to peek at the lives of these two beautiful little boys and to realize that beauty has come from ashes and strength from fear and gladness from mourning and peace from despair. Those are your ways, Lord. And we will never cease to be amazed at how you bring life from death just as you brought Easter from Good Friday. We give you praise and we bow before you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.